I'm sorry. I know it's really late now, but my my car broke down just up the road. I wondered if I could use the, the phone. Hello. It's him. I've been waiting for you. You son of a bitch! What are you doing? Get the door! Get the door! God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello everyone and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 70, The Mothman Prophecies. Not part of the uh, greatest October in the history of forever. Not yet. It's still September by my watch. It's a little teaser, you know? (laughs) It's a transitional episode. Yeah, I mean, I guess like on the surface it does seem like, well, why wouldn't this just be part of it? But I don't know. I guess I mean I know it's like a supernatural kind of thing, but I don't really feel like this movie is like a horror movie. Yeah, I mean it's plus meant I want to be creepy. Right? Yeah, but I mean I originally wanted this to coincide with when they do the Mothman Festival, which is in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, which is usually the third weekend in September. Right, which it would have if it wasn't for schedules, depression. <laughs> The usual obstacles this show has to deal with. Back injuries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. I just, I had, I, I, you know, there were dreams at one point. I think, rem- I think recently you were bringing up how I used to like always act like big things were always right around the corner for the show and <laughs> people would get excited and then not really know what those things were going to be and then nothing would ever really right. happen. <laughs> Well, I think one of the things was a dream that, you know, we were going to take this show on the road and do, like, an episode from the Mothman Some Festival. remote locations. Yeah, like Point Pleasant, West Virginia. I'm not ready to say that dream is over. For this year, it is. <laughs> well, we mi- I think we missed it. Yeah. Plus, I can't... I mean, I, I get that, like, they're probably not as... A- like you know tens of thousands of people pouring into point pleasant but then again i don't really know how many hotel rooms they have so i think you have to like kind of book it in advance and you certainly can't stay at the hotel from this movie no because that's in 84 <laughs> pennsylvania which, which i would like to also stay crossed my mind as yeah. like well maybe we could do an episode from that motel <laughs> although where are the interior shots from yeah i don't know those were sets i think i think the actual motel doesn't look anything like it on the inside um this was my first time seeing the movie though so Uh, what did you think overall a little bit different it was actually way more supernatural than i thought that it was i always thought that like he was like this reporter or writer or something and he something happened to him that like made him glimpse this whole world and he was like investigating all the weird connections 
like over time but i didn't think that anything like straight up supernatural actually happened to him oh but i was dead wrong well okay so the mothman prophecies is a mostly forgotten film (laughs) from sadly 2002 was not really a, a success either critically nor financially although, although not really a more failure than i thought yeah not a failure but not really anything you know too spectacular not a blockbuster oh my no <laughs> and uh i just remember seeing it in the theater you know back in whenever the fuck that was that would have been the year i graduated guy? high school 2002 yeah it would have been like the winter of that time but yeah. um like early 2002 dark winter but uh I don't know, for some reason, I, and I don't know why, I, it always is kind of like stuck with me for some, and, I, and definitely like a long period of time went by without me seeing it. I think a good, you know, from 2002 till probably like 2013 or 14. Yeah. So, and now I've seen it a few times within the last couple years, but I don't know, it always stuck with me from that first time. Even though I kind of know that it's not really that great of a movie at all. I think it could have afforded to be a little less supernatural. I don't know. It, it, it try, I think it, well, I think its problem is that it tries to be like both. Doesn't like seem, overly yeah. kind of a direct Based supernatural horror, but then also but not really because it, you never really feel too scared or anything. And it's mostly dealing with psychological stuff. There are and parts like of it. Grief. <laughs> it doesn't seem particularly well directed. It doesn't feel like it's always hitting on the tones that it's going for. It was directed by Mark Pellington, um, who was coming off of a film called Arlington Road, which was also kind of a, I don't know, oh yeah, a late 90s, early 2000s drama. That, that movie creeped me out. Didn't make like a ton of money or anything. <laughs> Tim but... Robbins was just like terrifying in it. <laughs> But he's mostly done before and after, including up until current day. I will say Arlington Road just made me so afraid of bombs. <laughs> <laughs> just kids getting their limbs blown off. It's like, what the hell? But he's mostly done music videos. And that I don't think that comes as a huge surprise after That's seeing like Mothman Prophecies. Mick G. It's oh. very music video video especially of that era it does feel like there's some carryover from like uh blair witch book of shadows feel (laughs) a lot of films were inspired by book of shadows (laughs) a lot of filmmakers were like yes this is where we want to go um but it's definitely got a of the times kind of feel and sound to it that i think oddly enough was one of the things praised about the film and now <laughs> they were like it's dated. of this time well i just think like they're like oh this is a very hip directorial ideas here because there's some weird camera choices that kind of start like from way up high oh, and yeah. then, like swoop down all in one motion and right. they're right next to the people then they'll pull away in a weird way and the sound editing is very strange and That's i think true. it's That's supposed to I think it's supposed to, like, just kind of, you know, add to the unsettling. Some of that stuff is effective. Some of it, it kind of takes you out of it a little bit. All right. So we've kind of already jumped in, I think, just as far as 
the show goes, we're going to try to hurry up and get to the greatest October. You know, it'll be really exciting. Well, last year, there was, I mean, I think kind of a debacle where we got into it (laughs) and then like we had to rush to get all the episodes up in like the last eight days of October. (laughs) So something similar will probably happen. Um, But we have a, I'm just going to say this though, as far as the actual month of October, our own little horror fest goes, we're going to have a big two-part episode to kick (laughs) things off. Yeah. So that'll be exciting. And then as soon as October's over, we'll get, we'll get back to those listener requests, at least two right off the bat in November. So don't worry. We have them. Yeah. And then um, follow the show on Twitter because, damn, Matt was right. <laughs> that Twitter, inter- I didn't realize how scene. sad it had gotten yeah. on Twitter. I was Ooh. oblivious to like how many followers there actually were. I was kind of in denial, maybe, <laughs> is a better way to say that. What is Matt talking about? I was like, it's not that bad. <laughs> and then I looked at it and I was like, whoa. <laughs> actually, it's much worse than Accounts I that you haven't tweeted from in years, like, failed band projects of ours have way more followers <laughs> we had more and then it's like people were like all right enough yeah. unfollow <laughs> god and then you know just you know try to keep getting the word out so <laughs> so we've circled back to the beginning of the show <laughs> yeah we gave we gave we gave everyone a nice little teaser yeah everyone had a chance to you know go through their dvd <laughs> collection and pull out mothman prophecies now we'll- <laughs> <laughs> blow the dust off of it yeah. now they're putting it in uh now we'll uh put a clip in here and then more bumper music <laughs> uh i don't i don't think so We're i don't think there's a lot of move. clips to yeah. choose from for this one okay so <clears throat> mothman prophecies is actually based off of supposedly true events that occurred between november 1966 and december 1967 in point pleasant west virginia However, for the sake of the film, for some reason, they just decided to put it in modern day, right. which at the time, you know, was early 2000s. I guess that was just to make it easier. I don't know. It doesn't really... They didn't want to do a lot of, like, set work. <laughs> there was a lot of run-and-gun filming going Although on. It's like, like, we don't have time to... The specific areas that they chose to film, I mean, you could have said it was 1954. <laughs> <laughs> It would have been like the Stone Age, where they're just like walking down a street, and there's like cars from the (laughs) '90s driving by. Yeah, but it's just like decrepit buildings, (laughs) a lot of blight. Yeah, um, most of it was filmed around here in Western Pennsylvania. Whoop! Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Whoop. Well, yeah, kind of more uh, rural locations, with the exception of (laughs) '84. Yeah. One of the coolest uh, exit names, I think, whenever oh, I I've say. passed For it my up. money. I've yeah. always been like, what is this place right. like? I didn't realize it was like associated <laughs> Instead with... Instead of like, pulling off, you just go home and watch Mothman Prophecies. Is it, doesn't it have something to do with like the lumber company, yeah, that, 84? I didn't really ever realize that. The guy is from around here, or you know, probably there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so... The film starts with uh, John Klein, played by Richard Gere, and his uh, wife Mary, played by Deborah Messing. Uh, Just a really stunning performance by her. <laughs> I guess I guess maybe appearance would be 
a better choice of words it's, than performance, but yeah, I mean, it it does amount to basically a glorified cameo for messing, but getting everyone excited for that Will and Grace return. I mean, I'm excited. For my money, in 2002, I mean, it doesn't get any better. You know what other movie I always thought she looked good in? I didn't know she was in another movie. Along Came Polly, because she's like Ben Affleck's first wife that cheats on him immediately. I legitimately don't remember her in that movie. (laughs) I saw that in the theater and never saw it again. She has a bit part in it. (laughs) She was a bit player. (laughs) What year did that come out? I don't know. Probably around this time, right? Philip Maybe. Seymour Hoffman was still alive. Philip Seems yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>, was still <laughs> alive because <laughs> he died 15 years ago. Okay, so you know what? I was listening to our two-part Roadhouse episode oh, recently. Well, wow. flashback. <laughs> and I thought the part we were t- at the beginning where we were talking about Paul Walker's death was particularly hilarious <laughs> for some reason. I was like, "Get off the planet, asshole!" <laughs> I'm like, what the uh, fuck is yeah. wrong with me? Yeah. I was, a, I was extreme I, at times. I mean, I get that we offend others, but it's funny when we go back and listen and then offend ourselves <laughs> with what we're saying. Occasionally insensitive, you would say. <laughs> so Klein is a writer for the Washington Post. They're um, in the process of house Big hunting. shout out there. <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of like a... Hanging with Gene McManus. <laughs> and um, I can't think of anyone else. All right, <laughs> Howard so, Feinstein? No, he's from... Uh, Howard Feynman's from Huffington Oh, Post. Feynman, yeah. Um, anyway, right. so they're kind of just like a young, happy couple. Although it's kind of a question mark around young, because you're not really sure. It's like... You never Richard really Gere know how has old basically he... looked 55 since 1988, so I you're know. not really... When I found out we were doing a Richard Gere movie, I was like, please let it be American Gigolo. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Do you think the hamster thing is true in regard to Richard Gere? I don't see why it wouldn't be. (laughs) (laughs) Who hasn't? Right. Put a few shaved hamsters up. Okay. Um, So we get like a little montage of them looking at houses. They kind of are... They find a house they like. And They're like, let's they start, buy this giant immaculate house. And they start fooling around in the closet like while the realtor's right. still there. I mean, but to be fair, I guess it's like he can't keep his hands off, you know? Yeah. We're not He's really ever happy with this situation. We're never really given much indication, as far as I can tell, as to how long they've been together. <laughs> but they're getting a house together. Yeah, but it Although also maybe but that also could be move. like them upgrading. Yeah, I, I I didn't feel like they were necessarily like. It's actually like their second date, and he's like doing a little power move where he's just buying a house. <laughs> well, no, because I think they do make it a point where she has like you know a big diamond ring on and everything. But like oh, I do, right. I don't get the feeling that they necessarily are newlyweds. They don't seem that young. Yeah, like in other words, her more so than him. <laughs> she seems younger she could, but she could easily be like 35 and True. he could be like 55 it seems <laughs> <laughs> an appropriate age discrepancy well, you know around this time they're kind of just driving along and then uh mary has like a vision as she's driving and it's like this horrible nosferatu-esque thing swooping down at the car and doesn't look great <laughs> but it yeah and it doesn't it doesn't look great. It also kind of gives like a weird vibe to start this movie where yeah. you're like, oh boy, 
Is this like one of those just real shit oh, PG-13 yeah. things where you're just like, oh boy. Well, this was kind of right before the start of all like the the run of just horror movies that went on through the mid-2000s, like The Ring and The Grudge and the all grudge. that shit. God, I can't believe how popular The Grudge was. Oh, yeah. That movie's terrible. Mm-hmm. I saw that in the theater. <laughs> I did too, and the sequel. I don't... I saw the the Ring too. I I I was seeing all those movies. <laughs> I saw Dark Water. Um, yeah, that's stunning. So, well, Jennifer Connelly's in it. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Me. No nudity though. No, if I remember correctly, I don't think so. <laughs> so this act, so this causes her to have an accident while they're driving, and she hits her head off the window and. They go to the hospital. The only person to get in an accident in a 25-mile-an-hour zone. <laughs> I mean, they're in the middle of suburbia. You can just sense, like, fucking John's, like, anger just, like, rising. He's just like, Jesus Christ. He's like, <laughs> what like, are you wrong doing? You? Oh, you're unconscious. <laughs> He's, like, slamming her head against the window. <laughs> you fucking bitch. You ruined this big night for me. Yeah. We're buying a house. So they go to the hospital because she's hit her head and it kind of leads to like this whole thing where they discover she has like this brain tumor it's actually a cte (laughs) yeah yeah and then will smith comes walking in and he he can't figure out what his accent is so they're like this is the worst case we've seen of cte in a 27 year old woman's brain (laughs) they're like how many have you looked at well and why are you performing evasive surgery on my brain i'm still alive (laughs) so she's now just in the hospital getting treatment but it's like i guess you know we kind of have to find out through the course of the film just by him talking about it later and whatnot that it's kind of this rare type of brain cancer well there's a jump cut basically like it cuts to him in the hospital cafeteria talking to his co-worker companion dude explaining what's going on and you're like well how much time has passed because he we've you've gone from him right. buying a house to car accident yeah. to get it finding out she's a brain tumor to we're in the cafeteria yeah sitting in the, yeah the whole film kind of has that it, it actually in a weird way it, it does seem like you know pellington was trying to Maybe be a little too cute with it, but like there is sort of an artsiness to how this is done. It's never like because I think if this story was just laid out in a in a strictly by the books A to B kind of way, it would kind of feel a little boring. Oh, I would say yeah. And I kind of the way that he does it is kind of like let's fast forward through the bullshit, hit some highlights at the beginning, and then mm-hmm. jump into the weird shit later that happens later. But and it's he, all kind of done in this very like dreamy, oh, right. jump cutty to different things kind of thing. But he does kind of build the conversation to I think he him revealing that it's been like two weeks. Yeah, two weeks. Yeah. So she eventually dies, and but not before taking up a new hobby. Well, this is what I wanted to. It's like she's like designing the children book from the Babadook or whatever. <laughs> she's basically <laughs> just scrawling the Babadook. Yeah. Well. Okay, so once she dies, you know, he's obviously in a big state of grief and everything, and he's t- collecting her things. 
It's like, get over it. Yeah. She died six hours ago. I didn't believe that you were into that that into that relationship. I w- I'm not buying it. <laughs> she seemed a little annoying, and she wasn't a great driver, obviously. Well, it's like, if we learned anything from Dawson's Creek Season 1, any couple that's married and is all over the, each other like that, <laughs> something's going on behind the scenes. So... One of the things is this notebook, and she's been drawing these horrible, like, demon monster creatures, like, flying. You can't really tell what it is. He's like, I'm glad this uh, tumor's had a positive effect on your sunny disposition. As he, like, flips through it, the drawings are increasingly more disturbing and (laughs) more detailed. What the hell is going on? It's like she's basically drawing these, like, satanic-looking things. Yeah. And it's just like, what is it? It's a, and to be fair, it is kind of a little chilling because I agree. the whole They're, concept of like you having a normal wife and every you know she's probably has like a you don't really know that much about the character Mary, but you assume she has a normal background and a normal job and everything's fine and you guys are well to do and happily married and then all of a sudden there's like this really just disturbing notebook of drawings. You think that you she's know made. someone? Well. I assumed that she drew those in the hospital. Yeah. But I've also, in one of the write-ups I was reading of this, Whoa. it was acting as if she had drawn those before. And I was like, A, I don't know how you would tell I from what's no in the movie. I see no evidence of that, yeah. But then I was like, well, I don't maybe. know. Maybe she was too... I can't. Maybe the idea is that she could, like, she just wouldn't have been able to. She was too weak or fucked up to be able to be doing that. But, like, it seems... If they wanted you to think that she had been drawing them before the hospital, he would have found the notebook back at their house. Right. That's what I would think. Because you kind of get the impression that after the car accident, she may never have left the hospital. Oh, that, yeah. I, I would don't get the impression. Yeah, I, it seems like he hasn't left the hospital. Well, he's not even there when she dies, <laughs> which is kind of like a bummer. It's Again, like I've seen the movie one time. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, you're right. It is like he's just in the hospital, just in the hospital. And then the first time they show him out of the hospital is him getting a call that she's died. Yeah. It's like, oh, God damn it. So this is like your first kind of... And, you know, as we were saying, like this kind of like weird early 2000s horror sci-fi style, like there were shots like when they're in the hospital and the doctor's talking to them where all of a sudden like the perspective is like through the ventilation grate as if something's watching them and oh, yeah. yeah none of those things ever really make sense or apply to it doesn't anything amount to anything yeah it's but it's always i guess it's i do think that like building suspense yeah the idea is that like the end effect is greater than the sum of the parts you know that kind of thing like uh-huh. all of these things individually don't really mean anything that much especially when you know seemingly the point of the mothman is revealed later but it's supposed to just kind of be this like kind of bizarre unsettling conglomeration of things i don't know yeah that's kind of how the whole film's constructed well i just feel like moths on their own gross and horrifying yeah i would agree with that that would be enough the worst are those like huge moths that you only see like occasionally (laughs) that literally have like a body like a turd you know what I mean? Like, it's that, like, big, almost. What? <laughs> it's almost like a bird. It's like a Subway foot-long sandwich. 
with wings, yeah. giant wings. Right. I don't know. Terrifying. I've seen some pretty horrifying moths in my days. All right. Out I'm, in the woods and listen, shit. Listen, I'm believing it, but I don't like it. Oh, yeah. Moths are like almost the grossest thing I can think of. I can think of some things, but yeah, they're on the list. <laughs> so, okay. Now we're jumping to two years later. Uh, Shockingly, not over his wife. We come to find... Yeah, you know, co-workers trying to set him up. He's yeah. kind of like brushing he's it like, off. Nah, I'm not into it. So he's going to... Um, what did we think that... Uh, we probably can't remember it now. Like, we both initially heard the co-worker say something, but then we realized what he actually said. You remember that? Oh, he said something about... She's never going to be Mary or whatever. Yeah, and we forgot that his wife's name was Mary. Yeah. So we were like, oh, shh. She's never going to be married. They, and we thought that he was talking about... No, she's not married or something like that. Yeah. And we thought he said married. Right. I don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We this just confused nowhere, like... But <laughs> I was <laughs> kind of like this whole episode. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we just basically confused her name, Mary, with married. But there was something where... Yeah, if if it had been what we thought that he said, it was kind of like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know exactly what it was, but right. it was that's what it was. Yeah. So, so if we knew, it could have been funny, maybe, but... No. We don't, so, then so it's we, not. He had to go to somewhere in Virginia, which is south from D.C., right? <laughs> I thought, uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, right, because then in the like Maryland's the upper part, Virginia's the lower part. I can't remember which city specifically, but no, wasn't it? Uh, was it Roanoke, Charlottesville? <laughs> no, it was. Uh, <laughs> no, it was Richmond, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, maybe. So he's supposed to go to Richmond for something for his job. He decides up to just get up and go at like one in the morning. And he starts driving. Right. And then... They're the, calling his friend on the way, like, yeah, no thanks, I don't want to go on that day, I gotta go for a drive. Well, he's like, I'm just gonna head down now, because, like, I guess, you know, he had to go interview somebody for the paper or something, mm-hmm. and then he wasn't gonna leave until the next day, and then he yep. just decides to leave it, like, that night or whatever. So, at some point during this car trip, he kind of experiences, like, a paranormal moment, like, kind of the... A lot of the standard like hallmarks of an alien encounter without us actually seeing the aliens in this movie or oh, anything, right. but like loss of time and loss of place, like he just suddenly things kind of get a little wonky for him and he's driving along and then the car just dies and his everything dies, right? Like the wa- his watch stops. His right. Phone. I mean, at this point, he doesn't know where he is, and he yeah. won't find this out till later, but I'm just going to skip to it now. He's arrived in Point Pleasant, which is in the complete opposite direction, and it is six hours and 43 minutes, according to MapQuest, away from Washington, D.C., and it only took him like an hour to get there. Or two hours or something. Yeah. yeah. Like, he was headed two hours south, and then all of a sudden, he ends up like almost seven hours west is basically right. the long and short of it. And there's no explanation. His car dies... He ends up on the side of the road. He's only slightly alarmed by that information, too. Yeah, I mean, that is, like, the big thing of the film, which is, A, his kind of muted reaction to this, and also, but 
is that also his reasoning for why he sticks with this story so long? And I don't why know. he turns this into like a quest of his? There's probably like some listeners to this show who could uh, verify this, but if something like this happened to me, I, I, I'd never get over it. Like, oh yeah, we'd never have to hear the end. Of yeah, it. I would just be, we'd be we'd be like years later. I would be like, yeah, but it just doesn't make sense. I I think about it all the time. I can never stop thinking about it. It just it's not adding up. It's well, six and a half hours away. I do think that if something like this was possible in some way that maybe we as humans don't understand, that if it did happen to you, you would have to just your brain would somehow like compartmentalize it and rationalize it so that you would accept it because it is like, it's just an unacceptable thing. My brain is like missing that tool. (laughs) So then you just go insane and die. So he, you know, it's in the middle of nowhere. This is like kind of a, a a horrifying scenario because his cell phone doesn't seem to be working or it's dead or whatever. I mean, these are early days of cell phone. I doubt he had service out in the middle of, fucking west virginia yeah and so his car dies everything dies it's not exactly like it doesn't look like it's you know the most freezing part of winter but it certainly seems pretty cold chilled yeah and it's completely dark yeah and you're and and the weird part is he doesn't even end up knowing where he is like what would you do in virginia and he's in west virginia but like in a completely different direction and it's just like well, I don't know. He gets out of the car and starts walking. No, I know what he does. Uh, if you were in a situation where your car died and your phone died and you were on a road like this in the middle it, of the night... It'd be like the end of the mist. Yeah. <laughs> if I had a gun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't get out. I'd be you too shoot afraid. me and then you have no bullets left? <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing that sucks is like... If the car, if like the heat was working in the car, just stay in there. You just st- you just hope that you have enough gas. Wait it out till yeah. it get till daytime. But yeah, I mean it's creepy. You just get out and start walking because yeah, it's not like a major. He's not on like a highway at this point. It's just seemingly yeah. some road, and it it is does beg it the looks question: desolate. is desolate. Yeah, before his car dies, where does he think he is? Did he, does, is there any like idea of him getting off of an exit or like he, I don't know he just is suddenly there and his car on like and, some curvy road that it doesn't look like there's anything around. Well, we get like the sense through like you know cheesy effects and you know wavy camera and blah blah. blah. We realize that like something had been happening while he's driving and he's kind of in and out on in terms of his consciousness as like what's happening around him. But all of a sudden he's here. Yeah, and he just goes to the nearest house and knocks on the door. I mean, it ends up being like what three in the morning or something. And yeah, this was a stunning uh, part for me because this is definitely you don't get the reveal of where he is yet. So this is the first thing that's like super weird, which is of course that Will Patton's in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and this is this felt everything involving his character felt very x-files yeah you know it's like straight out of an episode of x-files he knocks on this guy's door this guy reacts very violently and aggressively because i knew you'd be back his perception is that this is the third night in a row that john klein has knocked on his door at three in the morning yeah 
And you're like, what the hell? So he has a shotgun and he pulls him into the house and now he's got him like cornered in the bathroom. <laughs> this guy whose name is... Typical Gordon. West Virginia behavior. <laughs> yeah. I mean, God forbid John Klein would have been black. <laughs> oh, boy. But like, um, this guy's name is Gordon Smallwood. Um, he's got like a meek little wife who's kind of like... Like tittering in the background. She doesn't know well, what Well, she's got her hands full on. with this guy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty clear that gordon's kind of unhinged oh a yeah bit. <laughs> doesn't seem like he gets a lot of sleep so it's hunting season year round for him <laughs> hunting humans yeah. so uh i think his wife ends up calling connie mills who's like the a local police officer as far as we can and played by the great laura linney um as far as we can see she's she like the, the great only cop Anytime like a woman is in the mix, uh, a f- like a semi-famous actress, I'm always like putting them up as like the greatest thing. Oh yeah, right. I mean, Deborah Messing to me is like the whole reason to even turn this movie on, and she's barely in it. Or to be alive <laughs> in general, really. <laughs> uh, so Connie Mills, I kind of consider her like a lady sheriff. Yeah, I just she seems like the like only a cop. Lady, lady, like, good lord, lady. <laughs> yeah. Well, like. As far as we ever can tell, she's the only police officer that, of any note. She works a town. lot of hours. <laughs> Just nonstop 24-hour shifts. Right. Getting a lot of free coffee. So she kind of like talks Gordon down and, you know. <laughs> yeah, she's used to this type of outburst. Well, like. She's not like, what the hell are you doing? Put the gun down. I, okay, so to try to like, you know, kind of speed through some of this. like That's true. This was going to be a shorter ep, but. <laughs> There's a lot going on in yeah. the Mothman prophecies. We <laughs> haven't we even gotten this to movie. like. <laughs> we haven't even gotten to like the real right. life stuff. All right, go ahead. So no, I won't interrupt anymore. So she like talks the situation down, and it's just like kind of convinces Gordon to let it go for now. She takes. Obviously, John John doesn't have a car, so she's going to drive him to a motel. This is when John finds out that he's actually in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, which, again, he doesn't really overreact to, but. Um, <laughs> I kind of find it weird because it all kind of happens. I mean, even a, if the time lined up, wouldn't he be like, I'm in West Virginia? <laughs> Come on. It's like, <laughs> um, so, yeah, n- nothing. I didn't even have anything to say there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, within a fairly short amount of time, uh, Connie is kind of quick to let John in on, like, some of the goings-on that have been happening in the area over the last few months, you know, kind of revealing these Mothman sightings and, you know, a lot of the other strange phenomena that people are reporting, and she, she, you know, tells him, like, hey, and this is just the stuff that they're not or, you know, that they're willing to say a lot of people might be too embarrassed and these are, like, honest church-going people, etc. Like, I've known Those these people... Those are the worst kind. I've known these people my whole life. Like, they're not making this up kind of thing. And John's just like, LOL, okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I got a... What is the name He's of like, the- I got a pretty good look at those people. I'm not really... I'm not convinced I'm yet. not sold on their character. And, like, also pretty early on, she tells him about... This isn't that night, but I think it's probably the next day or two. And she tells him about her dream where she's like in the middle of the ocean swimming, surrounded by presents and starts to drown. And then a voice says like, wake up number 37 and all this yeah, stuff. And he's like, 
what happened to you exactly? And she's like, oh, yeah, she is like overly emotional about right. it. And he's just like, eh, it sounds like a dream. I don't really know what you're going to say. He's like, one time I had a dream a hamburger was eating me. <laughs> so the next day he, he takes his car to a mechanic and there's nothing wrong with the car. And he's kind of just like, huh, that's weird. And he's wandering around Point Pleasant. He ends up running into Gordon Smallwood again and... I guess for, he's like, you know, look, Gordon, his perspective as, you know, a reporter for the Washington Times is to kind of like reapproach the situation and try to verify what this guy was saying, because it's probably slightly unsettling to hear you've been knocking on somebody's door three nights in a row. Meanwhile, like in a place editor or whatever been. at the Washington Post is just like, dude, You're no fired. one cares about West Virginia. Like, get back here. Well, it's never even really clear that he's working on anything specific. No, but that does seem to be his cover at a certain point. Yeah, because, well, he was supposed to go to Richmond to, like, interview the governor of Virginia or something. I mean, it was... He was like, like, never mind, West Virginia sounds great. (laughs) Yeah, this sounds hilarious, John. Thanks. (laughs) You're fired. (laughs) And then pretty early, Gordon starts revealing, uh, you know, it seems like... Gordon is kind of like the epicenter for where this supernatural stuff in Point Pleasant is happening. Um, He seems to be in communication with something, some unseen presence or force, and he kind of has these premonitions. And the first one is a voice from, I think it's the sink? I don't know. A voice speaks to him and says, in Denver, 99 will die. And then later on that day, they'll see on the news that a plane has crashed in Denver with 99 passengers and they're all dead. And then something about... That based on a real event or no? I don't know. I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah, I don't remember that Well, I guess that kind of plays into... Well, this is based off of a book. And the book, you know, is one of those kind of ridiculous things that purports to be nonfiction. But But they do tie in real... Events and tragedies and with some of this stuff, don't they? Well, yeah, I mean, part of the Mothman legend is that sightings of the Mothman have preceded other great events, like tragedies, you know, mass death situations from um, earthquakes, hurricanes, um, whatever. I mean, even as recently as 9-11, supposedly. I mean, but a lot of that stuff seems like it's after the fact. People claim that kind of stuff. So it's like all the people that actually saw him died. So we're never really going (laughs) to (laughs) know. Well, like, but the one main one in America is this Point Pleasant situation, which we're kind of like, we haven't really, for people who don't know. Well, it's the climax of the movie. Yeah, we're kind of dancing around the actual thing. But that's like the one where maybe because it's in America, maybe whatever there are you know documented reports of people a lot of people citing this thing and they're kind of noted and you know real sightings whether or not what they saw was real or but like real reports exist. yeah like this was an actual thing and then it built up to something and then after that thing happened the sightings seemed to stop and then that was it but supposedly, you know, probably the claim in this book is that there are other 
events that have occurred in all over the world where the, supposedly the Mothman's been sighted. I'm guessing that's what this is in this movie. But the way they try to but tie in it in terms together, of the actual yeah. 1966 to 1967 thing, I, no, I don't think there's anything. But the way they try to that. tie some of the stuff together in this movie is very like loose. It feels weird. I mean, the whole thing with Deborah Messing, like she kind of has like the vision before she dies. Yeah, which but is why he doesn't even know that. She does say something to him like you didn't even see it, and oh, then he true. sees her notebook, yeah, which like, is fucked up. But it, like, yeah, what does that have to do see, with this? I, I don't thought know. That he had like this weird brush with something, and he became like obsessed with like investigating it, which I guess you could kind of spin to be the way it is. But it's more, yeah, but it's more indirect because right. it's his wife. But and he's never, there's never a scene in the movie where she explicitly says to him like, "I saw a Mothman." Yeah. <laughs> Right, and in then that he case, smothers her with a pillow in her hospital bed. The Mothman is doing like one-on-one like visitations <laughs> and then killings or whatever. To be or, fair, though, yeah. Well, he he had a certain obsession <laughs> with Will and Grace. <laughs> Who didn't? Yeah, I'm so glad it's coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, so this leads to a more specific supernatural entity known as Injured Cold. Ooh. Yeah, when this came into play, I was like, what? What is this part it of the movie? It does seem I'd... so random that he's like, when Gordon's like, he told me his name and his name is Andrew Cold. You're like, all right. Well, A, I was like, what? I didn't even, I couldn't even tell what he said. Andrew Cole? Indrid, <laughs> like I-N-D-R-I-D, oh, Cold, yeah. C-O-L-D. Um, Indrid Cold. Which, if you're not familiar with like paranormal UFO bullshit, like X-Files and all that kind of stuff... Um, it does seem like a random made-up thing, and you're just like, well, that sounds lame. Yeah. <laughs> but right here, it is, my hand raised. It is here. an actual uh, character in this kind of folklore, uh, commonly known as the Grinning Man, a purported humanoid entity commonly associated with UFO activity, sometimes believed to be an alien. Um kind of human-looking, no ears, no nose, or hair, but like human-shaped kind of a very tall Hmm. i was gonna say it's sounding like me a little bit and then you said very tall (laughs) so um on november 2nd 1966 in parkersburg west virginia around the same area and time as the mothman came about woodrow derenberger was driving his way home on interstate 77 until he heard a crash then an an, unidentifiable vehicle appeared to land in front of his truck he described it as an old-fashioned kerosene lamp chimney flaring at both ends narrowing down to a small neck and then enlarging in a great bulge in the center the grinning man came out of the vehicle with a dark tan and walked up to derenberger and said telepathically that his name was injured cold and he meant no harm cold said he just wanted to know more about the human race and he would visit derenberger again after the encounter derenberger stated that cold revealed he was from the planet Lanalus in the galaxy of Genomedes. <laughs> oh, no. So the sighting kind of falls apart when you get into specifics at the end. You're just like, oof. But this is unrelated. It's like the guy from the painting in Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> but I just wanted to make the point that this was like, that this sighting that I'm reading is unrelated to this movie. In oh, other yeah, words, yeah. like this right. is something that exists outside of this movie. People claim to see it. People have claimed to see this character all over the place but 
also in West Virginia around this time. It should be uh, clarified for anyone. This is a different character than the Mothman, right? Correct. So people, there's reported sightings of this Mothman, which for some reason, if you see him, you know what he looks like. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if I, I saw something, I'd be like, hey, I saw something weird. I wouldn't be like, was that the Mothman? Yeah, I mean, the actual Mothman. What's he look like? Looks like a moth. Oh. Who's a man? Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that. All right. During the same period in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, where we're t- the Whoa. movie's taking place, the Lily family had been reporting that poltergeist activity in their home, such Whoa. as diamond shaped lights. The Lily's daughter, Linda, was sleeping one should night. should have had that little lady show up. <laughs> the Lily. This house is clean. <laughs> The Lily's daughter, Linda, was sleeping one night and awoke to see a man standing over her. <laughs> oh, yeah, boy. This was real. That not like where this cold. was going. <laughs> this is her uncle. It was a man, a big man, very broad. I couldn't see his face very well, but I could see that he was grinning at me. He walked around the bed and stood right over me. I screamed again and hid under the covers. When I looked again, he was gone. There you have it. So Gordon claims to be speaking with him, and then he co- ends up calling... Uh, john's motel room <laughs> yeah he's like hey guess who's with me injured cold my old buddy i see <laughs> and he wants to talk to you <laughs> and so connie who's just like hanging around with john at that point she races over to gordon's while john st- speaks with in- injured cold it becomes clear right away that injured is supposed to be some sort of supernatural all-knowing all-seeing entity um you know he can apparently see things and know things that couldn't be seen or known you know that kind of thing like he knows what's in john's hand or what's in his shoe under the bed or what what, passage of a book he's looking at right yeah john just like will not he's like how many tests no answer good enough (laughs) yeah i mean it did seem kind of like it did go on and on there's definitely like I think passages in the Bible where like people are questioning Jesus and it, it actually has that same kind of feel. And I don't know if that's intentional where it just keeps going on and on and on. It's like how many tests. Right. So, but then of course Connie gets to Gordon's house and Gordon was asleep and didn't call John. So there's a lot of like phone bullshit. It's yeah. like, that's the kind of thing that kind of feels dated about this movie in a way, and not just because people don't really use landlines as much, but just it seems very odd that if you're going to have these supernatural, all-knowing, all-powerful <laughs> beings, that they're just obsessed with using the phones. Right. They're always calling people and imitating voices. and Yeah. Uh, cell phones and smartphones with cameras the way everything is now, it's really put a damper on... Injured Cold is like accidentally sending a dick pic to <laughs> fucking Connie Mills, and he's like, oops, wrong picture. But yeah, I mean... <laughs> but what you think... <laughs> for all the people that like make up these things, it's like so much harder to perpetuate your stories now because it's like... Wait, well, you couldn't snap a picture of it on your fucking droid or whatever? Well, after we... After we finish recording this, I'll show you that picture that I was telling you about from oh, 2016. Yeah. Right. But anyway. Which we'll post on the uh, Twitter account. No, we won't. <laughs> so <laughs> don't get excited, people. Yeah. That Twitter account is dead. <laughs> and it's your fault. So after this, you know, the the calls seem to be like upping in frequency to John's motel room. And he's getting like more and more involved. And an indeterminate amount of time is passing. And he's trying to come up with excuses Still to tell his coworkers and returning boss. Returning to town, yeah. And 
Connie, spending a lot of time with Connie. Connie is thirsty AF. Yeah, well, she's kind of... She, she sees a ticket out of Point Pleasant, she and she's, she's not going to let go. She good for the uh, town folk of Point Pleasant, I think. She, I mean, he's a little bit of a celebrity to her. She's, she's, yeah, he's been on TV. Yeah, she's familiar with him. Like a very like meet the press type right. thing or something yeah. like that. And Talking about his interview with the governor. The, well, I think we see a clip of him in that initial two years later jump where he's like talking about the democratic oh yeah can't put the potential democratic candidates for 2004 <laughs> which is funny because it's like uh you know not john Kerry. yeah but um she i mean there's definitely a few scenes like in her living room at one point and, and like later in his motel room where she's kind of like got this like look of longing on her face and she's right. kind of just like following her around and she's like clearly DTF. Oh, and he's just he just like kind of ignores it. Really, he never really engages with it. Well, I mean, he is full on obsessed with his wife and whatever's going on with. Well, Gordon. eventually, <laughs> that's the whole thing, and kind of the greater idea behind what's at play here in the film is the idea of kind of loss and grief and that kind of thing, because slowly the whole injured, cold Mothman sightings, weird phone calls, paranormal shit, all this stuff, it all kind of starts to slowly morph into Mary like popping up. Yeah. All of a sudden now I will say he's waking up in bed and Mary's there. And that part is actually yeah. pretty scary for that a second you're like a whoa a little bit of a jump scare for me watching it watching it just you know on blu-ray yeah because she kind of she's there and she looks hot and she's great but like she's she supposed to be pissed. dead <laughs> yeah she's well, supposed to be dead and she's got a look on her face where she's kind of like it's kind of very like serious like she's just like you know there yeah and it's it, like what's happening and it is like a legitimate jump scare too like she just it just like pops up on screen and all of a sudden she's like you know showing up at the police station asking connie about john which and of that course, part i did think is effectively a little bit creepy too because you don't actually see her right well she's you see kind of like her for a second walking pass, away like this and he kind of sees her but not sure and then but then it's like he's having this conversation with connie and she's like describing the woman his wife like asking about him and stuff and that, he takes that, the picture out yeah and he shows her the picture, and she's just like, you can what? tell that she knows it's her, but she's just like, well, her hair was different. I don't know for sure. And he's like, who else would be here asking about me? He's like, I don't know any other hot redheads. Yeah. <laughs> and to be fair, I will say it's a does? hell of a picture, though, that he's obsessed with. Oh, his yeah. Wife. <laughs> yeah. That's a hell of a picture. He carries that thing around still. So then there's this little like interlude where he goes to Chicago to speak with a quote-unquote expert. Uh, a, a writer named Alexander Leake. A lot of money in uh, injured, cold experts. Well, you know, it's a I hobby. I think in a weird way that character is kind of supposed to be like the guy that wrote the book. Oh, John Keel or whatever his name is. Like those kind of weirdo experts that like used to do the circuits of like in search of shows or yeah. like, unsolved mysteries but then like they would have a lot of books and then they'd go to like these weirdo conventions which now you know have taken over the world and they the can probably go to all these other things like, could figure out like how An to angle. make money yeah, yeah. <laughs> honestly like it's probably a pretty cool life yeah if you're like even remotely interested in this bullshit Beats you working. can be like all right i can make up some more 
horseshit. Um, that's kind of. Uh, did you ever see that movie 1408 with yes. John Cusack? Is it, I feel like his he kind of does something like that. Well, I think his character is like supposed to debunk like oh, haunted yeah. right. hotel rooms. Yeah, yeah, and then he encounters one that is legit. Well, that, I guess haunted. that's the other angle of it. You can kind of get yourself wrapped into that world just playing. Yeah, the dude that goes around doing that shit. So you too. have one guy leading the way, writing right. the haunted hotels book, and then the guy following him, writing the these haunted hotel rooms aren't really haunted. Yeah, book. yeah. <laughs> they're holding hands all the way to the bank. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, I love the money that go shit, around. though. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, fourteen oh eight is based on a short story by Stephen King, and I remember that short story being like pretty creepy. And the movie's yeah. not terrible. No, it's a, it's really not. It seems like it should be. Yeah. But it's it's not, like, amazing, but it's decent. I will <laughs> like say... Like how we're I, just reviewing 1408 in the I middle of this episode. I love the part in that movie. I just thought it was funny slash kind of a fun little character quirk that he quit smoking, but he just carries around a cigarette in his ear, and he's, like, planning on smoking it before, I don't know, a nuclear bomb is going to go off or something. Like, he just carries around just for that. And then he ends up smoking it in the movie because yeah. whatever. So, John gets kind of a warning. Because now he's getting, like, these weird calls. And he's trying to, like, record them with, like, this whole thing. He's, like, rigged up in his hotel room. I don't really know what. It's kind of a weird, outdated technology yeah. that he's using. But he records it. And he gets a warning of a tragedy on the River Ohio. Which kind of... Sets into motion like the last. Is how people say it. Well, that's how the voice says it. Mm-hmm. The River Ohio. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that's just done for like effect. Bridge over the River Ohio. <laughs> God forbid there's any artistic flair, Matt. <laughs> yeah, God forbid. <laughs> you know, like Quentin Tarantino just spells bastards wrong in Inglorious Bastards just for fun. That, yeah. That's fun. So the injured cold is just says River Ohio. Plus Eli Roth in Inglorious Bastards. Fan of the show. Making it a great Friend of the movie. Show. Yeah. <laughs> so um okay, we've covered uh Mary. So then um he gets a call when he re- one of the times he, he goes I think he ends up going to Chicago twice, doesn't he? Yeah. All of a sudden he's insane. making a ton of trips. When you one time he drives out- in the middle of the night. Yeah. Which I got to imagine Point Pleasant to Chicago. I didn't map quest that, but I'm sure it's got to be far. The actual timeline of this movie is insane. It weeks feel like they're going by. Oh yeah, where he's there, and then he's going to Chicago. He's back. He goes to Chicago again. Then he's back, and then he goes back to DC at some point. Right. Well, when one of the times he comes back, he gets a phone call again from Gordon. He goes. He goes over to the house to find that Gordon is dead and has been dead for a while. He's outside. It seemed like things were really ramping up with Gordon. Like his connection to this supernatural presence was kind of driving him insane. It had ended his marriage basically, and he was kind of losing all touch with reality. And I think the idea here is that we're supposed to possibly be concerned for our main character, John, that this could happen to him, that mm-hmm. he's going down this path where he's trying to connect with something that is not human and will p- 
you know, possibly make him go crazy. Yeah. So now I will say Gordon probably a little bit crazy to begin with. Right. <laughs> Things probably weren't working out great no. for Gordon. But John His wife had a yeah. lot of questionable bruises. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Oh uh, yeah. So this fucking asshole injured cold or whoever lets John know that he needs to go back to DC and wait for a call from Mary. And so Wait, what's the whole sequence where they actually like pull off in the truck at like the abandoned building? Yeah. What's happening there? I kinda like which time? I don't know. I I do remember that scene standing out to me a bit, but now I don't that was that Gordon that drove there on his way home from work? Yeah, one time well one time that's when Gordon's recounting a story of interacting with Andrew Cole oh, for yeah. the first time. Um, but also John does go there and he kind of has a flashback to the hospital somehow. It all like sinks up like the ruins of this building. I don't know. Yeah, a lot of weirdness going on there. All right, but yeah, back to So let's make something clear. So it is kind of confusing. So like early in the film when he first is like driving around with Connie, she takes him directly to some of the eyewitnesses that have been experiencing this shit and they describe what the Mothman is. Right. The Mothman is like an eight-foot-tall moth looking man with like you know a moth head and big wings that is big and big red eyes and everything and it's you know obviously supposed to resemble the thing that we saw that mary saw and that she drew but that's really it as far as the mothman goes it's not like the mothman stalks around this movie as like a monster picking people off or you never really see it and once it starts going into that kind of more vague ufo territory with injured cold and like the weird shit with like the phone and like the visions of mary and other weird phenomena and like the premonitions and stuff the mothman kind of slowly starts to fade from the narrative (laughs) it really isn't that big of a part of it anymore which is strange because i do think that what this is really based on was kind of limited more to just some Mothman sightings. I don't know where all this other stuff is coming from, but they yeah. you know, added a character of John I Klein mean, and his the, dead wife. The, yeah, so it's like the Mothman really isn't a factor in the big you know, end of the movie. Well, let's think about it in terms yeah. of like Twin Peaks. Right. Oh, please. <laughs> Injured Cold is like Judy. <laughs> oh, no. And the Mothman is like Bob. Yeah, <laughs> or the Mothman is like Mike. I don't know, but it seems like there's like either either friends or there's like a tier system involved or right something like that. It's like they're just related in some way to the same overall f- phenomena that's happening. Mm-hmm. So now John is like kind of truly overcome with this sense of grief over Mary and everything's kind of coming to a head and you kind of get the sense that maybe he didn't properly process the feelings he had with Mary's death because now this is all you know becoming I know way this started out as kind of a weird thing that was happening to him but he was more detached from it now he's like way involved it and Mary is like a huge part of it he's like I should have just gone on that date that my friend was trying to set me <laughs> why up. Why did I ever think? Yeah, I mean, it's never explained why John would be the one. Like, because you have to figure there's other people on the roads in eastern United States that night. Why is he pulled into this weird 
story. I mean, who knows? Yeah. And I guess the idea is his wife saw the Mothman, so there's some connection that we're never made aware of. Like, we don't know, but... Yeah. Well, we have to have something to have a movie. Yeah, but you would think, though, in a movie they would explain it. Right. <laughs> like, what? why him? <laughs> you would think that. That would be a fun little thing to have in the movie, a little explanation. Well, like, we, if, even if they would have been like, Mary grew up in Point Pleasant, and so she, when she had her well, brain that's what tumor. I was trying to say earlier, that the, the, the connections and how this is tied together is very, like. Well, I know, but, like, yeah. now when you actually get to, like, why is he pulled into this, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But he is. So back in DC now, right? Yeah, Connie calls him and she's like Which by the way, she had been getting a little sick of his whole bit. Marry this, marry that. Yeah, Mary's Mar- dead, John. It's just Mary's <laughs> and Mothman's and Ingrid Cold. I am a hot single girl and I am, I am not a hot getting lady the attention sheriff. I deserve. Yeah. <laughs> I have access to handcuffs Here and the I key. Am following you around with the, like doing these little quote unquote investigations with you. <laughs> I want you to investigate you this ass. Yeah. So he calls or she calls John and is like, look, John, it's Christmas Eve. You're pathetic. You're sitting in your empty house waiting for your dead wife to call. She's not calling. You're insane. Please come back. And so that's it. Be with me on Christmas. Quite a thing. You shouldn't be by yourself. He, she buys him a plane ticket. Yeah, which is weird because I think he ends up driving anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not reimbursing her for the ticket. <laughs> He's like, fuck you, Connie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she had to like mortgage her trailer to afford the plane ticket. I don't know. She seems like she's living pretty well. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, it is weird because it's like, well... What is she? I don't. I don't know. She's like so desperate. Yeah, for, I it's mean, sad, but like, I guess really. the fear is. I guess from her perspective, you know, she's in this indeterminate amount of time that he's been there, which seems at this point to have been like a month. Although part of her has to be like, you know what? There was kind of a lot of weird shit going on with him. Well, that I think she's afraid because yeah. the weird shit seemed to be affecting him, but she knows for a fact. That these people were reporting these sightings before he arrived in town. Because we, okay, we did mention this while we were watching the movie. That, like, why doesn't it ever occur to her that, like, all this strange, unexplainable shit is happening in town now. Like, people are having premonitions. People are dying in weird ways, like Gordon. People are seeing a Mothman and their eyes are turning red. Because, you know, we see those teenagers who were fucking in a car or whatever. And the kid's eyes were all fucked up. And, like... Normal, decent people are seeing an eight-foot moth monster. Now, all of a sudden, there's voices on the phone, and the phones are ringing, and all this weird shit. And you're here now, and you're at the center of this, and you weren't here before. Why does she not kind of blame this on John? Yeah, and the only explanation... plane tickets out of town, not back to town. Well, the only explanation is she knows that this stuff started before he got there, and he's not... She's seen him on TV. In other words, she knows that he's like a person that existed outside of this right. thing. That he's not somehow secretly a part of it. Like <laughs> that that John Klein isn't a made up thing. Because that would be the first suspicion. Even if he had like, you know, credentials and stuff. If all of this other shit's happening and he's just all of a sudden there 
and you have nothing to like prove that he didn't come from outer space, you know. She just shoots him. <laughs> yeah. She's like, Why don't you come back? And then he yeah. gets he gets it's off the plane and she just unloads a Okay, so as he's coming back to Point Pleasant, he kind of is driving into town, and he gets stuck in some unexpected traffic as he's approaching the Silver Bridge, which is like the main bridge in town. We've seen it a few times. And I guess there's some sort of malfunction with the stoplight, which it does seem like in 2002 people would be like, all right, well, I'm going. Oh, and it's like... I don't Christmas understand Eve, what's right? happening that could possibly cause them to not is be going. Is it actually Christmas Eve? I believe so. Which is like, we, there's a lot of activity going on in town. So many people backed up at this bridge. Women trying on wedding dresses. Well, that's the thing. It's like, I don't know exactly... I wish I I could figure this out, but I'd like to try to nail down when the exact date was that this bridge actually collapsed and yeah that's what happens um <laughs> spoiler well for I don't, know, yeah I don't what was going to be two minutes from now anybody cares yeah. at this point so but they do need to know the date that the real bridge went down well i need to know yeah because there's a lot of inaccuracies that end up cropping up here not i just know of at least one civil engineer who listens to the show <laughs> So, all of a sudden, it kind of, as he, because, like, John has stopped, like, right before, his car is, like, uh, like not quite onto the bridge yet, and then all of a sudden, it kind of dawns on him, the tragedy on the River Ohio, and this bridge crosses the Ohio, and he kind of, it all suddenly clicks together, and it's all so clear in his mind as what's about to happen as the bridge starts, you know, to kind of collapse underneath the weight of all of these cars that are essentially parked on it, waiting to get off, and he, you know, he tries to run across and, like, warn people, which is ridiculous. It's like, why would you ever do that? But um, Connie just so happens to be on the bridge. Oh, yeah. She was waiting to get off. She's a cop. You'd think that she would have just put her siren on and somehow driven over everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, um, yeah, I mean, all right, so the bridge collapses. I don't really know what else to say about it. Yeah. Um, John, uh, Connie falls into the water and is drowning in her car. And by this point in the movie, though, you're so beaten down by how long it's been. <laughs> I think it's two hours long. It just didn't feel like there was like a lot of action no. building up to this. No, um, John's, I was ready for it to wrap up at this point. John somehow. Well, I mean, you're like that. Fifteen minutes in, yeah. To pretty much every movie, mm-hmm. John dives. Have you ever thought about Adderall? No. John dives into the It's river. more like my fatalistic feeling, like we're just always running out of time. Like, I think, oh, we, we're going to watch a movie. Great. But then it's like, you get 15 minutes and you're like, well, we have other shit we got to do. Do we? I don't know. I always feel like that. I I've, I wish I could ever feel like, like right I had now, anything to do. I don't even know how much time we've done into this, but... Like an hour and 10 minutes. Well, I set the limit for like an hour and 25. All right. Well, we're almost done. Yeah. So John rescues Connie um, in the movie 36 end up dying in this bridge class, which is pretty dramatic for this movie. You weren't really, you know, 
it doesn't really seem like you're building up towards you know mass death, but right. 36 seems like a big chunk of the population yeah. in Point Pleasant at this time. They were all out driving this night. And of course, this connects back Fateful to Christmas Eve. Uh, Connie's dream where she's number 37, you know, wake up number 37 or yeah. whatever. But he's like, is Connie the dreamer? <laughs> in reality, 46 people died in the collapse of the Silver <laughs> An interesting Bridge. interesting Not 36 is depicted in the film. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> the motion pictures claim at the end credits of the collapse of the Silver Bridge never being explained is false. The incident was found to be caused by the failure of an I-bar in a suspension chain in 1971, well before the publication of the book on which the film is based, let alone the film. Yeah, I mean, clearly they weren't interested in truth, that kind of explanation. But as we've noted, I mean, there were real-life sightings of the Mothman um, leading up to this real-life collapse, which occurred in 1967. The film itself, I mean, is mostly, I don't know, it tries to blend some sort of mix of sci-fi, demonology, UFO folklore, uh, kind of some generic horror elements. (laughs) The psychosphere. (laughs) Uh, I do think that, like, the style that Pellington shoots the film and kind of chooses to do some of this weird stuff is, you know, kind of trying to create, like, a schizophrenic, you know, nature of how this supernatural influence would mess with our perception of reality. Like, I don't know. It's supposed to, like, m- you know, leave us feeling a little bit unsure of what's yeah, happening. Yeah, it kind of has that, like, insomniac, like, up all night, drinking coffee, <laughs> smoking cigarettes feel to it, wide-eyed. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, like, uh, Pellington rejected several scripts that were much more literal interpretations of the book by John Keel, uh, but instead wanted to focus on the psychological drama in UFO witnesses. I don't really know what that sentence means. <laughs> I get, I, I, I do think that like, it's possible that maybe he was interested in like the day-to-day life of a man like Gordon Smallwood and like his wife and whatever his life was like. I don't know, but I don't know. It, it never really delves too much into any one character besides John and, and, I don't know. I mean, I guess he's considered a UFO witness as well, but I don't know. I mean, for me, I think seeing this as someone that was still in high school at the time, I don't think it was even abundantly clear to me that this was UFO related. No. (laughs) It kind of seemed more like the Mothman was some sort of separate thing. Like, it was definitely supernatural, but, like, I didn't know. I didn't know that there, there was, like, a whole backstory that this was somehow connected to, like, aliens and shit. The first recorded Mothman sighting took place on November 12, 1966, near Clendenin, West Virginia. Five men were in a cemetery preparing a grave for a burial. <laughs> Some crew. <laughs> like, what were they doing at night? Yeah, I don't know. At <laughs> some grave. Preparing a grave for a burial when they saw something they couldn't explain. <laughs> yeah, like five men digging a grave. <laughs> Lifting off from the nearby trees was a brown-winged creature. The men held to the fact that what lifted off beyond the trees was no bird. It was a humanoid. The creature was sighted in many places across West Virginia and the surrounding states, but the largest number of sightings happened Wrong near turn. the old West Virginia Ordnance Works also known by the locals as the TNT area, which I think is what they 
that ruins of a factory kind of place. Oh, yeah. I think that's probably what that was supposed to be. You know, and it was kind of just reported a few times throughout the years, but obviously the cluster of sightings. The creature would be seen throughout the next 13 months in Point Pleasant. It was estimated that there were over 100 sightings within this time, though though these are unidentifiable reports and the actual number of reported sightings may be quite lower. (laughs) Mothman witnesses were also harassed by the men in black who wanted them to not speak about the creature. The strange sightings all seemed to culminate in the collapse of the Silver Bridge on December 15th, 1967. So there's the answer. Ah. Hit a couple of things there. Um, you know, there are also two Mothman pictures taken in New York on 9-11 and multiple sightings before the Minnesota Bridge collapse. Uh, sightings at oh. the nuclear plant in Chernobyl. Uh, a mine that collapsed in Freiburg, Germany. So, I mean, there's obviously claims for yeah other so if you see him you know some something bad about is about to go happen. down yeah i don't know i mean i tend not to believe in this kind of stuff oh even though i love it yeah me too and i'm obsessed with <laughs> yeah. it but it's like i don't know until you actually see something yourself it's like why would you believe it but and how could i ever but live? like what does explain something like this um there were you know there was some speculation that possibly it was a large species of crane that was kind of had kind of gotten lost and was way out of its normal habitat and people just weren't used to seeing it and then they were seeing something big and flying at night um but i mean that seems crazy i don't know cranes (laughs) what what the fuck is a crane yeah like the bird crane no i know but (laughs) i mean if i saw a crane at any time in my life i'd be like i'd have a heart attack yeah (laughs) Uh, but it, you know, it, it's kind of that that idea of like mass hysteria. Like once it kind of becomes a thing, then other people truly believe that they see it too in like the trees or in the sky or whatever. But it, you know, it's mo- mostly just heightened emotions or something. Who knows? Or maybe it is real and it is a harbinger of death. Yeah, and doom. So yeah, this is kind of a weird episode for us to do. It's more way we got way more out of this than I. This thought. is like a passion project for myself, <laughs> just because, like I said, I saw this movie a long time ago, and I just it always stuck in my mind for some reason. Even though it's not particularly great, I I do like the idea, and hopefully, I every year I always at some point it's usually like right after the mothman festival happens i'm like all right i gotta be prepared to go next time (laughs) and then by the time it comes around it's like oh never even think what do you think like the people that are showing up at that festival it's kind of like it it it, it makes me think of like amity in jaws you know like around the fourth of july it's like this is their bit they they like oh yeah this is their chance they're making like some money it's like real sad uh, they have like a ten foot or something Mothman statue in in downtown Point Pleasant. It's kind of an interesting thing. A, I'd like to get well, a yeah, that of makes it seem like they to. are trying to like capitalize. Oh yeah, on yeah, that. yeah, yeah. There's definitely. It's like the Walmart has like a giant Mothman. <laughs> they certainly play, play it, it up. up. Yeah. yeah, I mean they they make. I'm sure the town in in certain ways makes some money from this. Right. Um, probably not a lot. See but. all those people. Had it planned years ago that they're like we got to put ourselves on the map. Yeah, and bit. then they st- they made the bridge like a little wonky on purpose. I'm guessing the Mothman Festival happened. They were like, this is gonna set our families up. 
in September because, and not December, because it would be like way less people would be interested in like hanging around outside in West Virginia in December. Yeah. So, you know, it, it seems like an arbitrary. Fall's kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of a early Halloween vibe to it. Maybe I don't know. Um. All right. Well, speaking of Halloween vibes, this was like our little teaser. We're gonna be. Jumping right into our big October so bridge spectacular. Bridge the gap. <laughs> bridge that gap. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll just keep going. And hopefully you like it, and hopefully you're telling a friend. Yeah, please. <laughs> All right, so that'll do it for this one, and uh, we'll see you next time. Peace. <laughs> Did I dream? You dreamed about me. Were you here when I was forced Now my foolish boat is leaning Broken love long on your For you sing, search me not Touch me not, come back tomorrow Oh my heart, oh my heart Shines from the sorrow Well I'm this puzzle Hot, and I don't mean the good kind. So what don't you want? Pardon? What don't you want? Oh, well, uh, I think I just, uh... You know, I've been working here for 44 years. Ain't nobody ever ordered nothing but T-bone steak and a baked potato. Except this one asshole from New York tried to order trout back in 1987. We don't sell no goddamn trout. T-bone steaks. So either you don't want the corn on the cob, or you don't want the green beans. So what don't you want? I don't want green beans. I don't want green beans either. Steaks cooked medium rare. Can I get my steak cooked that just a want no question. All right. Ice tea for you boys. Ice tea be great. Ice tea, yeah, thank you, ma'am. Uh-huh. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Nobody's gonna rob this son of a bitch. <laughs> My word. <laughs>